Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 101 of the Citrix Session. I'm your host, Andy Whiteside. I've got uh, Bill Sutton with me uh, from Zintegra, uh, the leader of delivery services here, and i got uh, Ben Rogers from Citrix on with me. Uh, ben, you missed the, I'm saying this tongue-in-cheek, you missed the 100th episode party last week. Oh, that's a problem. <laughs> well, good thing we had President's Day off. And uh, I was in Charleston, South Carolina with my sister. So uh, if I had to miss it, I could have been in a better place to miss it. You should get it. You should watch the video. Bill had like a party hat on and he was dancing. <laughs> he wouldn't believe it. Oh. <laughs> and if you believe that, I've got a, a bridge in New York I can sell you. So. <laughs> bridge in New York. Um, well, I think it does kind of highlight the point that, you know, we're, mostly consultants, engineers on this call, and we're here to provide good content. And, um, you know, had I had I taken the time to get the marketing people involved, we'd have done a much bigger um, announcement around the 100th episode. We'd have recapped the first 100, uh, but that's not what we do here. We talk about content, and that's what we're going to do today. So with that, I'll jump into today's blog. Let me share my screen so you guys can see what I'm talking about. Uh, the um, blog that we're covering is uh, from uh, Florian Larzuka. Is that how you say it, Ben? Do you know? I do not know. Yeah, I've met Florian multiple times, but I've never actually stopped to pronounce his last name that I know of. Uh, the title of this is Help Help Mitigate Your Organization's Cybersecurity Risks. This is from uh, a few weeks ago, and I can't think of a more appropriate topic uh, especially when it comes to the general idea of cybersecurity and to be quite specific Citrix. I was at a conference last week and I challenged uh, this individual as to whether delivering, well, I, I just said, I said, is Citrix a security company? And, you know, they kind of talked around it, talked around it and ultimately came up with yes, but they didn't really know why they said yes. And I think part of this conversation today is going to highlight why, even though Citrix may not run around telling you they're a security company, the concepts and principles behind this from day one uh, have a lot of security benefits to them and have expanded over the last um, five years for sure and, and even more. Uh, for me, if I can turn off printing inside my protocol and securely allow you to access that workload and not print, man, that's a security play. And that's been around for a long time. So, Andy, this uh, this article kind of has a special place in my heart because uh, if Pam Saunders is listening, my old boss, once a year, we would have to go through and do our annual risk assessment. And a lot of what this says here in the middle here about how you handle risk, you know, risk assessment isn't about eliminating risk. It's more about, you know, do you deal with it or do you try to avoid it? Or do you mitigate it? Or more importantly, do you try to transfer that off to another party? But these risk assessments, I don't care what industry you're in or what part of IT or administration that you're involved in, you need to be doing these things inside of your company because this is really going to tell you, you know, one, how adverse to risk is your organization. And risk is just not computer risk. Risk could be, uh, man, I'll give you an example. I had a healthcare, I had a healthcare scare in my family that happened to a, you know, a family member of mine. And it put their business at risk because this person was some of the only, his job, he was the only one that was doing it. So we very quickly realized that if this person is not here, these things don't happen. And so those are the sorts of things that get identified in a risk assessment. In an IT, a risk assessment, but also a risk assessment as a company as to what this is really looking at. What is the risk health of your organization and what risk are you willing to accept can't do anything about it, but you're willing to accept it. And what risk are you willing to mitigate? There's a dollar cost with this. So I uh, have done a lot of these in my past experience, but probably some of the most uh, intense but helpful things that an organization can do. Well, you made a comment a minute ago. You can choose to ignore it. I think I mean, you're not saying that, but you're saying some people do. Uh, no, you can't. <laughs> you just can't. It's part of the risk strategy, though. I mean, some of the things you might go, this risk is out there, but there might be very little that I can do about it. Or what happens sometimes is the cost to mitigate it is not worth the uh, ramification that if it was to happen. You know, what's the saying? Why are you going to spend five cents to protect a one cent asset? Yeah. yeah, I've never heard that, but that makes a lot of sense. Um. 
Yeah, Ben, I know this has a lot uh, in your background. I know it's part of a big part of Bill's logic too, uh, being an uh, experienced Citrus guy and understanding my comment just now around turning off the print ability to print or download files. Man, that's huge. If if you can only if you can only stick your head through the front door, not your whole body, and go get what you need, that's that's massive mitigation right there. Absolutely is. And, I, and it, to to Ben's point, I think the the four categories they list here: accept, avoid, mitigate, transfer. Uh, it depends on the risk. Some you may mitigate, some you may transfer. I don't think anybody's in the business of transferring it all to an insurance company, because uh, then you're you know then obviously you're you're not really doing much and you're you're basically uh, planning on on invoking the insurance in the event that there's a, a breach, and that's not a, I don't think, a smart strategy. But but it is a strategy. I'll give you one. It is a strategy. I'll give you one in real life, right? So, Bill, your kids don't drive yet, right? Ben, your kids don't. Uh, your your youngest kid don't drive. Don't I have drive. one that does. I- yeah, but when they turn 16, you have a choice. You can teach them everything proper about defensive driving and not drinking and driving and doing all the right things. But at the end of the day, Bill, they're going to sit you aside at whatever class you go to, hopefully, and they're going to tell you, go get go get liability insurance beyond. Go get uh, you know umbrella policies. And yep. you're going to do it because you know that's the only way you're going to transfer the risk that you can't control to someone. That's right. We already have it because we put a big swing set in the backyard several years ago, many years ago when they were younger and they had friends over. And I thought, you know, if some friend falls and breaks a leg, I need to make sure I have them covered in case that I get, in case I get sued or something. So I already have the umbrella policy, but the point is you're right. You're absolutely right. It was all about, you know, basically transferring that risk to someone else in the event that it occurred, even though it was unlikely. The ultimate risk, like you still have some responsibility. You're always going to feel bad. A kid breaks his leg in your backyard. But at the end of the day, man, the financial, which is what a lot of this comes down to. That's right. Got to go somewhere. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Bill, cover these real quick. Any additional things we want to talk about? The four different general areas of acceptance, avoidance, mitigation, transfer. Of risk. No, not really. I mean, that covers it all or for the most part. And then they talk about the benefits of cyber cyber security insurance or at least uh, what they cover, um, you know, breaches, identity recovery, et cetera. Yeah, and I think this is interesting too, because I just called my personal policy umbrella, which in my head at least says it covers everything. Things not listed. Is that what this is, covers everything, or does it clearly define these things and the rest of that stuff they're not taking the risk for? Yeah, most most companies are going to have general liability insurance, um, but general liability insurance doesn't no longer covers cybersecurity issues. So you have to get cybersecurity insurance to cover those types of issues, the ones that they list here for the most part. Um, so general liability would cover, you know, that somebody getting hurt on your premises or something along those lines. But cybersecurity is more targeted at just what it impl- implies, which is your breaches and identity recovery and, and you know, extortion from a ransomware attack and so forth. Yeah. Well, and I'm not going to go down this topic at all, but I'm literally, while we're talking about it, I've got, I'm, I've, I've got a secure document I shared with somebody who is going to be doing security, VDI security audits for us. And it prompted me to go think and find out what the status of that. And I shared it online. So I know they're editing it real time online. Uh, I've got the benefit of workspace technology, in this case, Citrix workspace technology, where I can go search in one place for that document, find it. So I get I get um, cybersecurity avoidance and and those things we're going to talk about here while also getting convenience if you do it right. It's right. super powerful. All right. Uh, so the first section here is about multi-factor authentication. I'm going to jump in front of this one, though, and have you guys, uh, Ben, I'll let you jump in on this. Um, single identity, not, not single sign-on, but single identity. We were having this conversation in our morning management meeting about how important it is to limit the number of IDs that you're carrying out there. So you don't have as many um, policies, personal policies. You don't have as many things to manage in terms of password uh, related challenges and rules and profiles, but let's put identity in front of multi-factor real quick before we talk about multi-factor. So Ben, identity, a single identity management, how important is that? And how real is that today? Well, I mean, so I, I, I'll answer your question with a little bit of a challenge. If you can get down to single identity, good luck. For me, it's down to corporate identity or work identity and home identity. And like where I came from healthcare, I had some doctors and physicians and administration that wanted to merge those two. They wanted to have their business identity merged in with their personal identity and 
it just wasn't a good idea, you know, because different people need access to that. So single identity, I think you got to ba- I think you're going to have to break it down. You're going to have one identity for your personal environment, your personal, you know, dealing with your family, dealing with kids, scheduling and all that. And then you're going to have another identity that's for work that's going to be separate. And the reason for that is, is that you don't want to intermingle those. And in, in some cases, you might have some people from outside the organization that want to get in and look at your personal side, but if it's mixed, that's just not possible. So I'm a big fan of separate identities for work and for personal. And then for work, man, it's, it's you know, least access. What does, what does this person need and what's the least amount of access can we give them to ensure what they have? Now, I will say one comment on cyber insurance. Cyber, I mean, insurance companies just don't give you cyber insurance. Part of this article is talking about the audit that's going to come along with this. So like where I was at before, we had to uh, apply for cyber insurance. And so sure enough, man, we apply for it. Next thing we know, an auditor's in our space going, we want to do all these checkboxes. And these are the things they're looking at. Do you have multi-authentication? What is the identity of the user? Is there multiple identities? You know, with I say corporate identity should be one identity, but what if I work with two different organizations? What if I work for my clinic, but my clinic's also partner with a hospital and I'm forced to have an identity there? So single identity? I don't know, man. I, I haven't achieved that in anywhere that I've worked so far. Well, and that's that's true. So, but but the okay, so single corporate work, single work identity is the goal, but the reality is not that that's the reality, right? We'd all have to agree on one identity, right? We'd all have to agree on one provider to be, you got to have somebody's got to be a single source of truth in that, that conversation. And that's never going to happen, but, but the need to have it is a no brainer to, to limit it as much as possible is a no brainer. Right. Yep. Yeah. We had a, we had a, uh, a security briefing a couple of weeks ago. You might've been on it, Andy. I don't know. And the person doing the briefing said, you should really only have five known passwords in your life. Um, and that is your work credentials, your personal email, your Apple ID, if you have that or Android. And then I, for the life of me, I can't remember the other two, but there were five total that you should you should know. And the rest of them you should leave to some form of a password manager or something that is using a highly secure cryptic um, password that can't be guessed. I'm sorry, did you say passphrase? Passphrase. That's what I meant to say. Sorry. You know, at that... And I, uh, I'm a huge fan of passphrases. First of all, I can't remember complex passwords. Yeah, yeah. You get one site that's got a, allows you to have a special character, and one site that doesn't allow you to have a certain special character. And I'm, and and it's amazing the ones you talk about. Uh, you know, protect a penny with five cents or whatever. I forget Ben's exact statement. Uh, I've got one like my timeshare login. It's the most difficult password I have for my timeshare. My bank's easier than that one. <laughs> um. All right, let's go move on to the first uh, real section they have here, which is we're going to talk about the requirement, the Citrix capability, and the technology, the product Citrix has. Then we'll let you handle this one, multi-factor authentication. Help us see what uh, uh, Florian's covered here. Well, what's cool, what's cool about this is we can do it out of the box without third party, or we can hinge in the third party uh, like Okta or something like that. So, man, from the from the cloud perspective, from our workspace infrastructure perspective, we can make this really easy for you. I mean, this is essentially a radio box. And if you're doing something like Okta, you know, an IP, uh, an API marriage. But, uh, I mean, man, multi-factor authentication, if organizations haven't done this yet, this is really probably one of the most important things you could do to secure environment. Making somebody have something other than a password to get in is probably one of the most important things any organization can do because that password is susceptible. Yeah. So, so Ben, the idea that uh, some companies used to say they couldn't afford to do this, in other words, buy the technology, if you're a Citrix shop, you've got it. It may not be, your, it may not be the end-all, be-all, but you've got it. It's ready to be turned on. No excuse. Yep. Yep. And I would have to challenge people. I think today you can't afford not to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. A lot of the, when we talked about cybersecurity insurance, a lot of the cybersecurity folks on renewal, 
they're uh, asking the questions, Ben, of customers. Are you? Do you require MFA for authentication into your systems? Do you require MFA for access to email? And customers that have not historically had it, we've had a lot of customers come to us and say, I need to enable MFA for this, or I need to enable MFA for that, uh, that have never really approached it before. And a lot of it has to do with, with their insurance company policies driving this. Well, and that's awesome that it, uh, well, it's unfortunate that it takes the yeah, it is. insurance yeah. guys to do it, but hey, I don't care. As long as somebody's yeah. making you do it at some point. Right. It's important. Uh, you know, you, would never, you, would, you wouldn't have eaten vegetables as a kid had your mom not forced you to. Right. Sorry. First one that came to my mind. Uh, all right. So let's tie this to a product. Um, and maybe you guys already did, but Citrix Secure Private Access. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, it's obviously because you sell Citrix, you implement Citrix, you manage Citrix. What is the product and how does that show up in Citrix Secure Private Access? Well, Secure Private Access is going to give you uh, access to the cloud infrastructure. And then in the cloud infrastructure, you're going to have in there the workspace configuration, the workspace platform configuration. And that's where you're going to see, you know, what type of MFA do you want to do? Who are you? Who is your ID provider? How are you doing your ID, your authentication? So these are every, these are all the things that are built in very easy. I think it's, uh, I'm not looking at the screen and Bill and Andy, keep me honest here. Left mouse hamburger go down authentication. I think that's where all this magic starts to happen in there. Yeah, that's right. It's in, the, in, the, in, the, in Citrix Cloud. It's part of the platform. But I mean, what it does, it's basically a form of zero trust, the Citrix Secure Private Access. It's their zero trust network access solution um, that, uh, that has a lot of things in it around, you know, adaptive authentication, browser isolation, things like that when the user leverages that technology. And obviously, MFA can be a part of that and should be a part of that. All right, so the next section talks about endpoint detection and response. Bill, I'll let you jump in on this one. Uh, I'm sure it comes up in the projects you guys are doing and probably has a lot to do with your lineage in the situation, but endpoint in, in detection and response. Yeah, I mean, this, this, we're seeing a lot more of this, obviously, with various multiple providers that are, this is like next generation antivirus. Um, it, it's basically designed to, to uh, run on the endpoint um, and contain malware, you know, where it, it detects malware or, or uh, strange behavior uh, and then logs that somewhere and someone's notified. Um, and uh, that's fundamentally what it is. It's really like an, the newest, the new, the antivirus for the newest, um, the newest exploits or the newest uh, malware uh, products that are, that folks are trying to use to target endpoints and servers. So, so for me, this is what we historically, I, when I used to be a sysadmin, used to try to do for ourselves which mm -hmm. is be on the lookout for things going wrong or things going inappropriate and respond to this. Now, I was horrible at it. And luckily I worked at a time when all I did was have antivirus and I'd get alerts and I'd go figure out what, 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 why the alert was bogus more often than not. Uh, I don't know that I ever actually solved any of these. Now it's uh, the point where you want something looking real time all the time to point out anomalies. And in my personal opinion, you should have a third party doing that for you yes. because, uh, you know, the Fox garden hen house may not always get you the right, the right answers. I, Absolutely. So the acronym uh, EDR, um, we hear MDR, managed detection and response. And recently I heard somebody say XDR, like X detection and response. So no matter what it is, whether it's network, whether it's uh, endpoints, whether it's mobile devices, whether it's servers, it's really potentially coming from everywhere, right? Yeah, absolutely. It is now. So I have a question. Um, well, Ben, you were going to say something, and then I want to ask you about the, uh, you and Bill both, about the protocol and how your traditional players can begin to use and be uh, uh, MDR if they can't see the protocol. Go ahead, Ben. So what I what I think is most interesting about this particular section is when you look at the Citrix technology, mm -hmm. it's not it's not just one technology set; it's a layered set. So they talk about secure private access for getting users in, isolating applications, isolating desktops from the users, isolating the user itself from the network. But then you see secure internet access, and really what that has to do with is evaluating what's going outbound. 
Right. What are the users doing? Are, are we are we scanning their internet traffic? Are we scanning their outbound traffic, making sure that we're cocooning things that we don't want let out of the environment? Uh, are we allowing things that we do want out of the environment? So again, it's it's becoming a layered approach. And then you see this last piece with the ADC, you know, we're bringing some of this ADC goodness into the cloud. And really what that's getting into is, you know, the end factor. Can we check the endpoint? Can we make sure the endpoint has certain parameters on it that make it where it's allowed into our data center? So when I look at endpoint detection and response, I don't think of one product set. I think of a layered approach that are working together to kind of give me a holistic view. Uh, and hopefully with that, that'll keep down some of the false positives that you were talking about, Andy. But one product set, I don't think is going to get it for you. I think you're going to have to do a layered approach. And I think you kind of brought up a really good reason for a layered approach defense. You don't want the fox guarding the hen house. That doesn't do any good. So multiple products across this, multiple eyes, doing different things, taking different, uh, taking on different challenges with different product sets. Yeah, so if I'm a competitor, Citrix, I'm saying you want one that does it all. You want some third party that does it all. That can't be. Maybe the third party that has a bunch of tools might be part of the answer. But one product like we have historically thought we could use to do with all this is it's just not realistic, is it, Bill? Not with one tool. Not anymore. Like to Ben's point, you really need a layered approach here. And he's right. That's uh, with the multiple products that cover this. Um, that That's really what's needed. Uh, the EDRs. One piece of the of the solution, but not the complete piece. All right. So let me challenge the people who tell me all the time that we can they can do it with one product, or they can do it with their multiple set of products doing it for you. If I'm building a Citrix environment, is it not true that I'm letting users come in securely? Hopefully they've been challenged into my environment in this encrypted protocol that most things can't see into. And I'm putting them back behind the curtain to do what they're doing. And I may have bypassed a lot of those traditional ways of trust, but verify? I think, I mean, I'm going to make a personal comment here. This is not a you know, Citrix comment or it's Integra comment. I think cloud applications cloud that a little bit or make that a little bit ambiguous because how do you really stop a user from going directly to the cloud vendor unless you work with the cloud vendor and say only these IP addresses can get to you. Um, I think that makes it where the endpoint does become a little bit more vulnerable because now you're, you know, you're doing multiple things in multiple places. The day of them launching the VPN and just coming to our corporate environment are gone. They might have to go to work day. They might have to go to, um, you know, man, whatever the payroll is. So you're asking the users to go to more places. And I'm not convinced that organizations have got all that locked down and managed like they need to. So, so Ben, you're talking about uh, uh, transfer of risk because now you're using cloud services, but you're still one portion of that equation is your end user, your endpoint device accessing cloud services you still want to be able to see what's going on. Well, also to take it a step further, it's accessing cloud services, but it also might be accessing corporate services. You know, so the machine might be, you know, going two different directions, but the machine's now the vulnerable point. So again, I mean, I think that's one thing that when we talk to people about cloud applications and they go, well, I don't understand where Citrus plays here. It's more of, you know, let's make sure that your endpoint is talking to a single identity so that you can only have that one one place to worry about. You know, you're not opening up all these different tree limbs that are going to all these different places. Don't make the endpoint the access point. Have that sitting beside a platform like Citrix Workspace where you then can manage it, but also you can secure it and ensure that the endpoint you're working with is only talking to that one data center or one data service. All right. All right, let's, uh, next is a, what I have called a SIM tool. So security information and event management tool. A lot of people, especially those that maybe necessarily are, I guess, maybe focused on the wrong thing. They're focused on the tool, not a solution. Um, a lot of people are talking about SIMs these days. Bill, you want to jump in on this one? Yeah, I mean, SIM, this kind of plays into what we were talking about before, the, the previous category, the previous topic, which is EDR. The EDR systems can report into the SIM. Uh, and then if you've got a managed SIM, which I think they might talk about later, 
um, then you've got, like you said, that external party reviewing what's coming in and 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 make taking action as needed uh, or addressing issues as they come through. And then when you look at the Citrix product set for this, uh, you've got the analytics piece in addition to the other piece, the ability to to leverage the analytics for adaptive auth. That is, the user logs in Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday from Richmond, Virginia, and then all of a sudden. Wednesday night or Thursday morning early, they're log they're logging in from Russia or somewhere like that. Um, the analytics piece uh, for security can help um, can help you know question that login or even deny that login. So that coupled with the EDR gives them you know visibility as well as control. So Bill, whether you're doing it or somebody else doing it, somebody needs to have a sim. Somebody needs to have one place to go find all this stuff, or maybe to look at things as well yeah. as to put artificial intelligence into. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So Ben, um, you know, one of the things we'll talk about a little bit is your real world example, your last organization, did you have what you think was an effective SIM tool? We were getting there. I mean, I, I had bought a SIM tool, you know, implementing a SIM tool is difficult to do. And, you know, the classic saying is garbage in, garbage out. Yeah. Um, I mean, what this tool is really designed for is to cut down on the noise. Yeah. And then also, once you zero in on events, man, having some kind of automated remediation of these. Uh, a lot of these go in and people get overwhelmed with all the complexity of it. And that's where I'll pivot to our security for our analytics for security product. Um, it, it is not a complicated product, man. And the visibility that it gives you into the ICA sessions what the users are doing in the applications. I mean, I'm not trying to sell you guys on something, but it gives you a lot of information that's easy to digest, nice dashboards, and they don't take a lot of setup. So I'm glad Citrix has this hook here. We can feed Splunk, um, you know, man, security with Microsoft. We can feed those, those uh, systems. But in my past, I've seen Sims, you know, if you don't know what you're doing, it can become a lot of jargon really quick. But again, garbage in, garbage out. If I was looking at companies and they don't have anything like the Splunk or they're not in that business or they don't have the manpower to maintain that, looking at our analytics packages, really easy applications to look at and learn. And then once you start learning, you can dive down like Andy, you've been giving the example of, I wish I could stop people from having to print. Well, man, with the analytics package, you can look at it and say, hey, if these people go to print, don't allow them to print. Don't allow them to access the printers. So you can do a lot of security and remediations within the security analytics package itself. So again, not trying to sell anybody anything, but being around the product set for a while now, there's a lot of goodness and a lot of value in the analytics applications that can marry with the seam or in some places can be a seam in its own. Right, let's move on to the next section, uh, privileged access. Ben, let's start with you on this one. I uh, <laughs> I can tell you, you guys probably know this. I have to multitask a little bit doing these podcasts. I literally just had to log into my nonprofit's uh, online SaaS portal to grant uh, a member, a user, um, access rights with, um, with single identity, but multi-factor enabled. They forgot their password. Um, and I had to do that. In order to do that, I had to go into a private incognito browser window and log in as my admin accounts. How many people do you think run around with way more privileges than they need on a daily basis? Oh, goodness. It's, yeah, <laughs> a lot. What is it? What is it called? We used to have a bad time with this uh, in healthcare. So, you know, an employee starts or at the front desk, then they get uh, they get promoted to another job and they got a little bit more responsibility and then they get promoted to another job. Well, next thing you know, they've got just as much access as a senior manager just because they've had all these roles and we've never taken away access. We just always give them the access they need to do their job. Yeah, it's the whole employee life cycle piece that yeah. uh, that you get involved in. They're onboarded and then as they're moved around, they it's more additive. It's not. It doesn't really address what is really needed, it's just added. So how do we, how do we fix this? How do we fix this in such a way that people still get their job done knowing that we might have to take time on the front end to figure out what it is they're accessing appropriately? 
Well, I think, I think one with your identity, your authorization identity, you got to be organized and you got to have, you know, like one of the things I always tried to do is I tried to have job roles associated with active directory groups or Azure active directory groups so that I wasn't dealing with roles at an individual level. I was dealing with roles at a group level. And then the one thing that I, I would probably continue to struggle with now is making sure that when employees have change, you know, when they're moved from one role to another, that there's a way to kind of inventory what do they need to have and what needs to be taken away. And uh, if there's a solution for that, man, you, you probably got lightning in a bottle there, in my opinion. Well, uh, I will chime in on that solution. I think we have the tools with analytics, assuming that we do what everybody should be doing, which is moving our front end of our digital transformation, which by the way, never ends, always evolving. If we move that into a workspace where we can start to capture the analytics, we have a fighting chance of understanding what people really need to have access to based on what they're currently accessing. And we have artificial intelligence to tell us when they're misusing that access. Uh, so let's talk, let's talk about that because now you've got me thinking, Andy. So let's say, let's take the example of, let's say the front desk person all of a sudden gets a management role. And we want to clip her from some of the front desk tasks because they won't need those anymore. And we now need to add the management tasks. I'm assuming that in analytics, I could say, if this group uses these applications, let me know. And then that might be a way of catching it. I mean, is that what you're thinking? Here's what I'm thinking. If you can philosophically come up with the logic on what you need to know to make it better through analytics, you have a chance to get it done. I agree with that because you could like in that example there, you could say if a manager uses a front desk app, notify us because that shouldn't be the case. And that means that something has slipped. They should have, they should have been rendered access to that app when they assumed the management role. So I definitely could see doing something like that. Um, I don't know. You've got me thinking there. Bill? Yeah, I mean, I think there are specific tools for this, you know, to try to, to mitigate the, the ability of someone to, to use Ben's example uh, that is that moves into a management role from still having access to their older their older account credentials or not credentials, but their, own, their older permissions. Um, I don't you know, there, there's a number of multiple ways to solve this, but it looks like, according to the article, there are tools for this that that are from third parties that can help address it. When I first saw this category, I immediately was thinking of elevated access management that we do sometimes within environments where that we can allow a certain user to have rights elevation to install an app. And then it's it's dumb, It's brought down after the app. That's not what they're referring to here, though, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm looking at this article. I've Probably should have looked at more. I've glanced through it before we started here, and we're not going to get through all this. And I don't want to rush any of this. This is way too good stuff. So we're going to add a part two to this. Uh, we'll get through a couple more sections, and then we'll pause for this time. There'll be this will be a two parter. Um, wow, you're right. Yeah. So let me play devil's advocate on this, and just be the just be the hardcore IT security guy here. I don't want to trust, but verify. I just want to go back to the old days of not trusting. And if you need it, then you have to request it and tell me why you need it. Am I, is that just too unpopular to be that way these days? Or am I just going to slow down progress? Am I slowing down progress to do that? I think things are moving too fast. And I don't think the younger, like it used to be when you, it used to be acceptable to be onboarded two weeks after you joined an organization. I don't think people dig that anymore. They expect day one, have my login ready, have me in my apps, let me start running day one. So I think people's temperament has gotten shorter where they expect it to be done faster. And if not, it's just an excuse, not a problem. Right. And then it becomes an excuse why you didn't do your job, right? And all of a sudden, you're full of excuses. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Am I, am I seeing that correctly? I could be being hard about that myself, but I, I think that like I look at my nephew, man, he works for uh, Chase Bank and, and man, he wants it then. He does not want to wait. If he's got new toys that are being new applications that are coming down the pipe, he wants access it right then. If not, he wonders what's going on. So I know his temperament's short. I just, just think that's 
Ferrata society, man. Yeah, I don't know if I've used this example with you guys. I used it with someone else last week. I had a, a lawyer that I worked with when I worked with a small business that, uh, you know, kind of got mad at me because his computer was full of garbage and junk. And he said, who did this? I'm like, you did it. You did. Yeah. You're the one that you didn't read that this one app was going to install 18 other apps. You just wanted that app right now. So bad. Yeah. You hit the I accept. Okay, 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 okay. Yeah. Now's a lawyer, right? That's what no better. All right, uh, let's talk about this one, patching. Okay, let, let me make a statement here. So I am a huge Citrix fan. And I think Citrix as a platform brings a lot of things into the mix. Um, I think as a company, you have to buy into a platform or two that kind of sets the direction. But then there's other things that you add to that platform to round out the edges. Uh, we're going to talk about patching now. Ben, I'll let you answer how Citrix is a patching solution or where it plays in the patching world. And then we'll, then we'll, then I'll round out the edge on this one. So for me, this is why I bought Citrix to begin with. I mean, when you came and saw me at Carolina neurosurgery 15 years ago, the problem I had was I had an aging fat client environment that I needed to upgrade. And my thought was we would go out and buy PCs. We would continue to patch them and, you walked in and was like, why would you want to continue working on 500 plus machines when you could scale that down to 50? Yeah. And I was like, what do you mean? And it's all about this image portability, this image management that we have. So with Citrix, we have an image, a gold image, and we make a template from that. And we use that template in our environment. And now guess what? 150 to how many ever users you need to have access to that. You yeah. need to update that. You come back, you update that image, and guess what? Now all 500 users have it. You don't have to worry about patching endpoints and the complexity of that. Remote workstations you don't even see most of the time. You can yeah. just get out of the business of endpoint patching all together with a Citrix solution. Right. And I'm going to take that one a step further here in a second, but Bill, go ahead. Uh, I'm, I, the easiest way for me to respond would say ditto, but um, I think, you know, Ben hit it right on the head. The other thing about it is obviously the ability to do a one-to-many type of relationship uh, where you can patch the, the master image. It also applies to the applications as well, not just the OS. Um, obviously, you know, our ability to deliver applications from one image or, you know, maybe two images in a large organization or more. Um, that's one place we have to update those apps. We're not having to worry about pushing them out to endpoints and those endpoints having an OS that can be patched or can be updated, uh, you know, really gives you the, the advantage of, of being able to manage it in a single place in a controlled way where you can do testing and, and you know, testing and, and validation of any of the updates before they get pushed to two or 300 machines. And then you find out there's a patch that breaks something. Yep. And um, we'll stay on the Citrix virtual app and that desktop topic for a minute. What was the what was the tool that came along that made it a no brainer to be able to have that single image management? Uh, the original tool was provisioning services. Yep, that's it, right? When we got PBS, that madness went away pretty. Oh quick. yeah, before PBS, we were doing sysprep's and scripts and things to you know to get them ready and get them or cloning or cloning with uh, with you know automatic updates or what have you. It was a real bear. I, I can remember doing in a healthcare organization plate spinning fifty servers every quarter, yeah, uh, yeah. just to make sure they were all the same. So. But but I want to I want to challenge that a little bit. So if I'm an organization, I've got a, a thousand VDI users. They're all of a single image or two. That's great. But what if I had a thousand users and they all had a persistent one to one image? But those all all those images are in the data center where I can see and I can know what's going on with them. That's that's still a win that a lot of people look straight over whenever they start talking about going, going to VDI or some type of virtual app and desktop model, just getting those things centralized and backed up and knowing that they're patched and they're where you put your hands on them. That's better than what you have. If you've got a bunch of PCs and uh, laptops running around. Don't disagree. Uh, I mean, the challenge with that obviously is you're consuming a lot more storage. You've got to manage each one of those individually using some sort of patching tool. But to your point, particularly from a security perspective and a, and a uniformity perspective, they're all in the data center. Yep. I can count my chickens at the end of every day and I can tell you if I lost any that day or not. Yep. So let's take, let's take this a step further. And I know some of this is coming out later in the year, but you know, we were talking about image management, but then 
we also have to talk about image portability. A yep. lot of things that customers struggle with when they say, okay, I've got to get the cloud is they don't have time to rebuild their environment. They need to take their environment they're running today and get it out the cloud. Man, our image portability that's coming down the pipe is going to make that much easier. And some people go, what do you mean with image portability? You could be running on an on-prem VMware system, and now you've got to get that out to Azure, and that's going to have different specs on the VM. We're going to be able to help you with that. We're going to be able to make those software hardware changes, you know, those soft hardware devices that are in that VM, we're going to be able to help you out with that where you can take your on-prem images and get them out to a public cloud environment. We're calling that image portability, but I think that goes into play with patching up. How easy is it to get your information from one point to another and maintain it once it's there? Yep. Yeah, starting with uh, the idea that uh, if we get these things into workspaces and clouds, we can get analytics. But I particularly use the word clouds, not cloud, um, because a lot of this stuff falls apart if you don't have the ability to take it with you into multiple clouds. Clouds could be your data center. It could be Zintegra's data center. It could be Azure, AWS, GCP, IBM, um, you name it. Um, That image portability story just gets better and better. Uh, all right, so uh, the Citrix technologies that apply Citrix virtual app and desktop bill. How does Citrix uh, ADC, what us old people call application delivery controller or Netscaler, how does that play into this patching story? Uh, well, um, you know, it enables the access to the virtual apps and desktops for one. Uh, you know, you still have to patch the ADC itself, um, but, uh, you know, the, the fact that you're, you can leverage the ADC to scan the endpoint to determine whether it's appropriately patched, yep. to determine whether or not it's got the right EDR or MDR or XDR on it and running. Uh, that's you know, Those are definitely some of the advantages that the ADC brings to bear for this. And you can actually, as we know, you can leverage the ADC to say, okay, do you have the, the correct version of your, your you know, EDR product running at the right, the right level? And if you do, you get full access. If you don't, Maybe you get access, but only to a single app and you can't do anything but but access the app. You can't print, you can't copy or paste, you can't do any of those things. So I, I hope I'm getting ready to throw both of you guys for a loop when I ask this question. When, if I do that outside the Citrix ecosystem, in other words, it's not the platform of choice for granting this access, am I going to have to install maybe something else on that endpoint in order to go looking around for that endpoint detection information? If I use a third party and not the Citrix platform that I've been harping on so far, I, I, that was a really bad way to ask this question. What I'm trying to get at is if I've got to have the Citrix workspace app on to access the stuff anyway, embedding some of that uh, capabilities in the software in the workspace app is a win-win. Well, I would agree with that. I mean, you would the workspace app could do both your endpoint analysis and your application access. So you could have it all without having multiple agents running on the endpoint, you know. But what I'm getting at there is even back in the Citrix days when I was consulting, you know, all the time, I used to have to push out this little endpoint analysis agent thing on there. Now it's just buried into the workspace app and what's already on there is on there. When I meet with people who have all kinds of like, okay, what do you put on your endpoint? I just put Citrix on it. Okay, well, why has it got 18 things installed? Oh, these are all the agents to make all the other things work. That's the whole idea of the Citrix platform stuff we're talking about here is all of a sudden I can collapse things into one trusted platform and add fewer things on top of it. That's a win. Exactly. Yeah, it is. We, we had this conversation come up this morning. I was actually really excited. One of my leaders in the company uh, started, like when I started talking about just using Microsoft Edge and not Google Chrome because the Chromium engines inside Edge, and that would mean we have less applications installed. I saw them shaking their head going, well, yeah, that's probably a good thing. It's like, yeah, it's probably a good thing if it works. If it doesn't work, we got to put Chrome on there. But uh, the idea that less is more applies to a lot of things in life. All right, guys, we got uh, just a few more minutes, and then we all have other things to do. Let's hit one more topic here, and it's an interesting one in the world of Citrix, backups. So how does backups help me handle risk, Ben? Oh, well, I mean, man, you could you could say some of what it's just a continuation of what we're just talking about. If you've got your images in multiple locations, so let's say you've got 
a data center and you've got a set of images there and you've got a backup facility and you've got a mirror copy of those images because you've been able to do it through, you know, PVS or MCS or, or other technologies. I mean, you've got a, you've got, you, in some cases, you can have an active active or an active passive. I mean, you really can get into a DRBCP scenario that's very easy to spin up because you're leveraging the image, uh, the image, uh, portability of Citrix. So from a backup perspective, you can have backups of your images in an offsite facility. You can have a backup Citrix environment in a cold facility, or you could have with ADCs and GSLB, two active Citrix environments, both sharing loads that one could go down, the other one could take the load. So I mean, as far as backups and air gapping, it's all possible with Citrix, man. We can, we can do it so many different ways. How far do you want to take it? Usually a lot of it resolves back to what we were talking about before, the money. Yeah. What do you have to spend on it? So, Bill, uh, there's two products listed here to solve, help solve this from a Citrix perspective. Citrix Virtual App and Desktop and Citrix ADC. You've been doing this stuff 30 years-ish. What was the biggest game changer in being able to back up your your machines in that 30 years? Biggest game changer to back up your machines. Well, I think, you know, obviously the the whole concept of a single image, I'm not sure where you're going here, but uh, uh, Can you the see whole concept screen? of a single image, you know, that you have to back up uh, is a big part of it. Can you see my Yeah. Oh yeah. The, and, and Citrix doesn't have it on here. And that's because, you know, yeah. shame on all of us. When we got to the world of hypervisors and you could take a snapshot before you did that upgrade or you could take right. a snapshot every week to get that yeah. stuff back. I mean, this other stuff's great. But man, the hypervisor, whether it's Citrix hypervisor or your hypervisor of choice, um, huge game changer in the world of backup. And I just yeah. I noticed that that one's not on here. Listen, as a technology, if, if, if you're not using a hypervisor these days, you're missing this backup one, which is a no-brainer. Yeah, I mean the concept of air gapped. I, I I can name I can count on probably one hand or maybe both hands the number of times I've been I've been involved in a ransomware attack where the only environment that was functioning was the Citrix environment. Yeah. It, it had locked back in databases. It had it had, it, had, it had stopped and encrypted the Exchange data store. I mean, some of them are really bad, but the Citrix environment maybe they got an image or two depending on how the customer maybe they had a couple of static images, but. Um, I have encountered that. And I think what they're getting out here partly is air-gapped and encrypted backups. Keep them off-site somewhere else that's not directly IP connected to your network, or at least it's it's isolated so that a ransomware attack gets in there. It can't get to those backups. Uh, I've had to rebuild Citrix environments where they did get to the backups. So. Yeah, and, and my hot comment on the hypervisor went hypervisor one up, but yeah, absolutely. The architecture that this stuff by default brings into the equation. I mean, look, the Bill, the Citrix environments you're talking about that did not get impacted by ransomware, they weren't built to prevent ransomware. They were just built in the right way, which happened to prevent ransomware. Correct. It's inherent to the product. It is. In yeah. the architecture of it. Yeah. And, pe and people laugh when we say that, but it truly is. I mean, we don't like the thing that we always talk about Citrus compared to VPN, VPNs shooting a bullet hole through your network so that now I and my machine has access to that network. Yeah, there's ACLs and all that, but man, how many administrators are up on their ACLs? Right. With Citrix, it's just man, a window. We're not allowing you to get into that environment. We're presenting that environment to you virtually through a window to allow you to have access to it. You don't really... You're never really physically on it like you are with a VPN. Yeah, you, you never took control of it. You're just a, uh, a subscriber of it for the moment. Exactly. In a, in a um, situation where you're getting presentation layer information, I was at a conference last week and they kept using the word that when you do virtual desktop, you're streaming it. Microsoft was using the word streaming. I just want to run up on stage. You're not streaming it, you're presenting it. Uh, but I figured they wouldn't appreciate that. <laughs> 
Well, guys, I will uh, let's wrap on this one on backups. We'll pick it up again, maybe later this week. I'll try to find a time that works for both of you guys. I'll we'll talk about it here in a second. Hey, before uh, let's let's talk about this real quick. Ben, you're going to be moving on from Citrix onto a new technology that we're going to be working another company, right? You don't have to go into a lot of details. My whole point in and bringing this up is to thank you for jumping on these, and we'll see you in a different podcast down the road. But when Citrix asked me about who do we want to to fill in for Ben on these Citrix podcasts, I had one requirement, and that one requirement is they have real world knowledge. And I want to thank you for bringing real world knowledge to the podcast. Yeah, I, I double down on that. <laughs> uh, Andy and Bill, I appreciate you having me on in the podcast. I am sorry to say, yeah, this will be my last podcast as a Citrix employee. Uh, I am off to new ventures that I can't talk about publicly, but maybe I will be a member of another podcast technology that you employ, Andy. So, uh, I might not be a stranger to you guys after all for so long. A little teaser going on there. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ben, I'll, I'll ask this question of you real quick. You're not leaving Citrix because you don't believe in what they do anymore. Right? You're just expanding your horizons. Uh, people are talking to me all the time about, you know, hey, what's going on at Citrix? Are you done with Citrix? I'm like, are you kidding me? The, the technology is more applicable than ever. We just got through talking about all that. Uh, but more applicable than ever, uh, you know, this is just business stuff that's going on. No, I mean, I think Citrix is going to be stronger than ever. I mean, one thing that within Citrix's walls is happening is they're concentrating on what they do best. They want to be able to deliver virtualized application, virtualized desktops. <clears throat> when I got the Citrix, I didn't realize how wide and deep Citrix was, especially with the ADCs. I had ADCs in my environment, but I just thought it was fancy way of managing ICA and I didn't realize the scope of the you know the Swiss army knife that those boxes have and then you got the whole right so Citrix is a great company I have a lot of admiration for the company I'll still support the company this has nothing to do with the company this is just an opportunity that puts me back in Charlotte which is where I wanted to be they had moved me to upstate New York and I you know was fine with that but it's always good to be back home uh, in your backyard where you know people and you've got contacts. So that was a big reason for my move. And to your point, uh, my past allows me to talk about databases and data center infrastructure. And uh, I was not able to complete that story at Citrix. So I'm looking forward to being able to expand my storytelling and my experience. So definitely appreciate the opportunity, Andy and Bill. It's been a wonderful pleasure to all the listeners. Man, these have been great. I've learned Fun. Uh, I've appreciated people that have reached out to me through LinkedIn. And like I said, hopefully I'll be back in some capacity here in the near future. Yeah. Well, Ben, thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Bill. Ben. Thank you as always. And uh, I'll try to find a time. We'll finish this one this week while we still got Ben on the hook. Right? Yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thanks. Have a good day. Have thanks. a good day.